Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm the children's pastor here at Great Oaks. Every now and then I have the great pleasure of coming out here and spending time with you. So today's one of those days. Uh, we are in the middle of a, uh, of a series called Transformed. It is a, thank you, Nate. It is a series uh, that was created by Saddleback Community Church. And it talks about how God makes every part of our life healthy. Today we're, uh, we are on, uh, we're starting week number four which talks about emotional health, all right? As I was starting to plan for today's message about emotional health, I began to understand, wow, this is a very broad topic, and it deserves its own series, right? But we got about 30 minutes here, 30, 40 minutes here this morning. So I'm just going to scratch the surface here this morning. Um, but as I was praying and trying to decide what direction God wants me to go with this topic this morning, he drew my attention to a man in the Bible who was uh, certainly free with sharing his emotions. And uh, he had some very high mountaintop experiences. I mean, some great experiences. He also had some very low, low valley experiences. All right? And this man's name is King David. Uh, just to quickly give you a glimpse into his life, he experienced a lot of exciting things and a lot of heartache. He was the youngest of seven brothers. He... Uh, his dad and his brothers didn't think very highly of him, uh, but he became very popular in the nation of Israel. So much so that the king of Israel, King Saul, he became jealous of David, and, uh, and he wanted to kill David. So David was forced to flee and to go into hiding, and he spent a lot of years uh, out in the wilderness, hiding in caves, going to remote towns, doing whatever he could to stay alive from King Saul. Uh, but eventually David became king. And he had three wives that the Bible tells us about. Three wives, and he had about 20 children. Uh, three of those children died before David died, right? So they died a, a premature death. Uh, one of David's wives he got by committing adultery with the wife of one of his soldiers. And then he tried to kill that soldier to hide the whole thing. Uh, uh, some other things about David. One of David's sons actually, actually like raped one of... David's daughters, right? Uh, and actually one of David's sons tried to kill David to take over the throne. And he ended up dying at the, hand of some of his, at the hands of some of David's soldiers, right? I mean, wow. That's just some of it. I mean, that's a life full of travesty. But he also had some very high experiences also. He was a very good soldier. The Bible actually teaches us that David was a man after God's own heart. Right, And after all was said and done, God was pleased with how David led the nation of Israel as king. Right, He did some very good things and, and made some very bad choices also. Uh, one of the things that, or like one of the songs that King David wrote, uh, probably his most popular, is a psalm that we call the 23rd Psalm. And so this morning I'm going to speak to us from the 23rd Psalm. But before I get to that... I'm going to tell you a story. This past spring and summer, I thought I would do something that I've never done before. And uh, I decided to, to grow a garden. Do we have any gardeners? Okay. This makes the story even more embarrassing. All right. So I decided to 
grow this garden. But the truth of it is, is my family was more excited about this garden than I was. They really wanted the garden. But I thought, I'll be a good sport. All right, I'm going to raise a garden. Never done it before. Uh, but there were two things about this garden I was not excited about. The first thing was digging up my grass. I don't want to mess up my lawn, right? And then I thought, too, the other thing was pulling weeds. I didn't want to spend all summer pulling weeds. I'd rather be out riding a bike, playing with my kids, doing something besides pulling. I'm pulling weeds seems like one of the worst things you could do to spend your time. And I thought, pulling up my grass and digging weeds, not what I want to do. So I came up with a brilliant idea. I began to look around and I can't believe no one else has thought of this amazing idea that I'm about to enjoy doing. What I did was I went out and I gathered seven pots, all right? So I filled those pots up with dirt. And then I got my seed. I planted carrots. I planted lettuce. I planted cucumbers. I planted uh, squash. And I planted tomatoes. And I had seven pots. I filled the dirt. I filled the pots up with dirt. I sprinkled my seeds on the dirt. I watered it. And I put it out in the sun. I thought, wow, this is going to be an exciting summer. I'm going to watch my garden come to life. After a few days, you, you can guess what was happening. I was starting to get little leaves popping out of my dirt. I thought, man, no wonder people enjoy this. You get to see the fruit of your labor coming to life. The plants grew bigger, right? The leaves grew bigger. The plants grew bigger. Some of them began to grow the vines, right? I said, wow, this is awesome. I kept watering it, making sure it had sun. Sometimes the pot was, sometimes the pots would fall over. And I'd lift them back up and put bricks around them and make sure they stayed straight. After a while, we began to get vegetables. Vegetables. We got huge zucchini. We got cucumbers and tomatoes. We got all kinds of huge vegetables from my neighbors and my friends. <laughs> Good tasting vegetables. And I thought, that's okay. I just planted my seed later than everyone else did. I'm going to keep watering it, keep it in the sun. We're going to keep going. Right? We kept getting vegetables from my neighbors and my friends. <laughs> After a while, these plants began to turn brown. The leaves became brittle. And they essentially all died. <laughs> and I began to understand why no one else around me was planting their gardens in pots. Because it doesn't work. <laughs> Let me save you all the work and the energy and the effort. Don't bother planting a garden in pots. And if you've actually made that work, more power to you. Don't even tell me about it because I don't want to hear it. Uh, so I started to think, why didn't my garden grow? And I thought there's one of two reasons. First off, it is possible that I am a terrible gardener. That is very, very possible. But I prefer the second option. And the second option is because the roots of my plants were in pots. God didn't make them to be in pots. God wants the vegetable roots to be in the soil where they can spread out. They can get new nutrition, fresh food to feed the plant. Right? They weren't meant to be in pots. My vegetables were in pots and they all died. I tell you this story for this reason. Because I believe that our emotions have roots. And I'm going to ask you today, 
where are the roots of your emotions planted? Are they planted in our heavenly Father, in his love and in his goodness? Or are they planted in a pot? Uh, as I thought about the pots people plant their emotions in sometimes, the roots of their emotions, four pots to me seem most obvious. There's probably a lot of pots that we plant the roots of our emotions in, but four of them jump out to me. The first is uh, the pot of relationships, right? We put our emotions in a relationship or a job or financial security. And the last one that I think probably most common is entertainment, right? And we like to plant our emotional roots in things like that. And for a while, it goes great. For a while, it's great. But what happens when that relationship goes south? The job becomes unsteady. The stock market crashes. Or for whatever reason, we can't participate in our performed form or our preferred form of entertainment, right? Then we go for an emotional roller coaster ride. And at that point, oftentimes, we no longer control our emotions, but our emotions begin to control us. This morning, the definition that I'm going to use of emotional health is when we control our emotions for the glory of God, all right? Emotional health. And as we look at Psalm 23 over the next few minutes, my goal is this, to help us understand three traits of God that he wants our emotions rooted in so that we can be emotionally healthy. Now, as we go through Psalm 23, I'm only going to talk about three very small parts of this awesome psalm, all right, this poem that King David wrote. Uh, and when we get done, you're going to think, Dan, you touched on about 3% of that psalm. And I know, and I tell you right now, we aren't getting to all this psalm. We're going to get to a little bit of it, all right? Uh, King David, back when he was younger, going through all these experiences that he went through, as I looked at his life in the first half of his life, when he was younger, I think there's oftentimes to say, I could say that he was not emotionally healthy. Okay, sometimes he was, sometimes he wasn't. He seemed to be all over the place. But as you grew older and he grew closer to God, I completely feel that he began to be very emotionally healthy. This psalm, Psalm 23, was written by King David during his, well, at least most people think during his later years. That's what I also believe. Um, so we're going to read read Psalm 23 here this morning. It's only six verses long. Uh, so I'm going to read it as you follow along with me, please. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go back to verse 1 as we get started here. 
It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He didn't say the Lord is the shepherd. He didn't even say the Lord is our shepherd. David says the Lord is my shepherd. He starts out this psalm expressing how personal God is to him. Friends, he's not just personal to David. He's personal to each and every one of us sitting here today. He's a personal God. God is not somewhere out there in the far corners of the universe. And if we cry loudly enough and shout long enough that he, happens, that he happens to hear us crying down here and comes down here to check and see how we're doing. God is a personal God. David wrote a lot of psalms, of these psalms. And another one he wrote was Psalm 139, which I've actually spoke of, spoke from a couple years ago. And the first four verses say this. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I rise and when I sit. You, per you, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. That's a personal God. Before we even say a word, God knows what we're going to say. Then Jesus in the New Testament, in Matthew 10, verse 30, he's talking to his disciples. And he tells his disciples, he says, your heavenly father has numbered every one of the hairs on your head. A personal God who's personally involved in every intimate detail of our life. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Why is that important for us today? As we consider emotional health. Because friends, during life, you all know this, some of you are much more than I do. There are some great days, and there are some very difficult, and I mean difficult. We have a God who's there with us, who knows what's happening before it even happens. He sees the lion up on the hill before the sheep are even aware that there's such thing as a lion. The Lord is my shepherd. During the mountain times and the valley times, we can take a step back and say, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. He's personal with me. He knows, he knows everything that's happening before it happens. The Lord is my shepherd. The first point this morning I want to make from Psalm 23 is God is personal. God is personal. Let's keep going. We're going to skip down to verse 5. Verses, verses 1 through 4. David's painting this picture. And he is a sheep. And God is a shepherd. All right? A sheep and a shepherd. In verse 5, he switches things around for some reason. And David becomes a guest. And God is a host. 
at a dinner table, all right? Uh, some, of the, some of the people I've studied as I was preparing for this message say that somehow the sheep keeps the theme throughout the whole psalm. I don't see how that's possible, right? Sheep don't sit at tables and drink from cups and live in houses, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, so David switches the theme from a sheep and shepherd to a guest and a host. Let's read verse 5. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Okay, so here's David. David's basically describing his life here in this psalm. Right? He's got all these enemies, and they're chasing him, and they're trying to kill him. Right? Now, David writes this psalm, and he describes him as a guest. Going into a tent or a, a home of some kind, let's just call it a tent. And the host prepares a meal for David. But outside that tent, it says that his enemies, or that he's in the presence of his enemies. So, from what I understand, David's enemies may be camped around that tent, figuratively speaking, all right? Maybe they're searching for him. They're trying to find out where he is. Maybe they're right outside that tent. I don't know. But it says, in the presence of my enemies, right? And then David's enjoying this meal with danger all around him. During the course of this meal, the host gives David a cup. And the host... David says there, he says, my cup overflows, right? And so the, so the host pours for David in his cup just a little bit of water, just a little bit of water. Obviously, David's thirsty from running from his enemies, and now David can just get a little bit of water just to maybe refresh his spirit just a little bit. No, well, that's not it, right? It says, my cup overflows, right? His cup is overflowing with this man's goodness that he's giving to David. What's David describing? He's saying, God has been so good to me. So good to me. His blessings are flooding out of my life. I can't contain all the goodness that God has given to me. And the whole time, David's enemies are around the hills camped around him, ready to drive a spear through him. And David says, my God is so good. I can't contain all of his goodness. My cup overflows. What's David giving us an example of here? David's giving us an example of his thankfulness. Thankfulness. He considers himself to be extremely blessed by God, so much that he can't contain it. His life can't hold all of God's goodness. Friends, I consider myself to be abundantly blessed by God. And I hope you all do too. Not me, you. goodness upon me has been good and I trust that you all feel that God's goodness upon you has been abundant uh, but there are days I mean there are days and there are periods of days right when uh, I can experience frustration 
or anger or jealousy or sorrow or fear or whatever it is, right? And if I'm not careful, man, oh man, if I'm not careful, I begin to think about it and I dwell on it and then I start talking. I start talking. I talk. For a guy who doesn't talk much, man, when I get in the right mood, man, watch out. I'm talking. And then I start to throw pity parties. Oh, pity parties. Man, if you want to see some par- pity parties, come to one of my pity parties sometime. Right? Pity party. And then I start scheming, man. I'll scheme. Oh, what am I going to do? I'm going to get this all figured out. Right? You know what I'm doing? I grab my shovel and I'm just digging. Man, I'm digging. I'm digging. The whole time, the, whole time the devil's sitting there. I'm saying, oh, Dan, that's good. Dan, keep digging. Keep digging, Dan. You, Dan, if you dig long enough and you dig deep enough, you're going to feel so good at the bottom of that pit. Dan, it's going to feel so good. Keep digging, Dan. I'm like a digging his dog, man. I'm just dig, 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 dig. <laughs> it's ridiculous. What I need to do is to put that shovel down and to look up from the bottom of my pit and to see that ladder that and to see that rope ladder that God has thrown down to me. And that ladder has a name, friends, and it's called thankfulness. And to grab that first rung on that ladder and to start pulling myself out by verbally and audibly declaring the goodness of God in my life. One rung at a time. God, thank you for this. God, you are good because of this. God, thank you for this blessing. God, you are good and holy and Thank you, God. And to start pulling myself out of that pit. Right? This is your action step today, friends. If you want an action step, something to walk out of here today and to put into practice today and this week and this month and this year, grab hold of that ladder called thankfulness and put down the shovel. And to start pulling yourself out one rung at a time. But I'm going to be honest with you. When you grab that first rung, Every fiber in your being, every fiber in your being is not going to let go of that shovel. I mean, and you know why? Because we're in a spiritual warfare, and your sinfulness and your flesh wants to grab hold of that shovel and dig, 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 right? Right? Grab hold of that rung, that first rung. It's going to feel like you're trying to lift up an elephant, right? But then after a while, Keep practicing it. It's going to feel like maybe you're picking up a hippo instead. Right? Then after a while, maybe it turns into a little puppy dog. Then after a while, it'll be natural. Right? You'll have your spiritual Thanksgiving muscles ready to go. It's going to be natural. It's not going to be that hard. But man, when you start, it's hard. Right? I'll tell you something else I've learned from personal experience. If you don't use those muscles for a while, they begin to get weak and atrophy and they become useless. You've got to get them back in shape. Thanksgiving shape, thankfulness shape. It's not easy. And that first run, it's difficult. But you start doing, you start pulling yourself out of that pit. Right? The second trait of God's character that we see in this psalm that I'm pointing out this morning is God is praiseworthy. He's always praiseworthy. Even with the enemies camped outside of our camp, God is praiseworthy. Let's go to the third and final point this morning as I 
clean up my water mess. It is found in the last verse of this chapter. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David has just painted for us a picture of his life, of his journey. David's enjoyed some time in the pasture land, a peace and a rest. He's enjoyed some times by the river, drinking from the still waters. He's gone through some deep, deep valleys. Right? But he sums it all up by saying this. He shows us where his eyes are focused. Through it all, he shows us where his eyes are focused. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His eyes are focused on eternity. When David says forever, I believe David's talking about his time on earth with God, but not just on earth, also in eternity with God forever. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David has an eternal focus in his life. Why is that important for us to understand as we talk about emotional health this morning? Because, in a, because an eternal focus does two things for us. Probably does more, but I'm going to mention two right now. The first off is it puts our life in perspective. It puts our life in perspective. We can spend so much time pursuing temporal things, temporal pleasures, temporal, ex temporal experiences, things that don't last. God didn't design us. But if we spend our days doing that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause confusion and unrest, maybe things like anger and disappointment, jealousy. That's not what we're designed for. He designed us to live with eternity in mind. Right? The second thing that keeping an eternal focus does is it keeps us from getting sore ribs. Sore ribs. I'm going to explain to you what I mean by sore ribs. I'm going to try to draw this so everyone can see it. All right. This is you. I'm not an artist, but I'm going to do my best this morning. This is you. All right. If you're married, this is you. This is your spouse, your parents, your children, your boss, coworkers. Small group, I hope everyone's in some kind of small group. This is your small group members, friends and neighbors, all right? Basically, these are the people that you live life with every day, every week. Down here, I'm going to draw some rectangles. These rectangles are treasure chests. All right? These treasure chests represent the temporal things that we go after in life so often, right? And this is what life looks like on a sheet of paper. Going after all this stuff, right? Man, this one, this person's pursuing this, and that person wants this thing, and that person wants this thing, and this person's going over here, this person's coming over here. And after a while, we get sore ribs. You know why we get sore ribs? 
because everyone's like, get out of my way. Get out of my way. Digging their elbows and their ribs the whole time, right? I want this thing. I want that thing. I want this achievement. I want that experience. I want this title. I want that thing. Get out of my way. Get out of my way. You go home at night. You're like, wow. Man, I got sore ribs. I was like been in a battle all day long. I got beat up all day long, right? Right? You know what this creates? This is not emotional health. This is confusion. This is jealousy. This is anger. This is pursuing temporal things. And if we do it, we're right in the middle of the thick of it. But I'm going to draw another picture. I'm going to draw the same people. This is you. If you're, if you're married, your spouse, parents, kids, friends, boss, co-workers, small group. Again, a plug for small groups. All right. Here, we are a treasure chest again. But up here, that cloud represents eternity with Jesus Christ. Having an eternal focus. So let's say that you choose to live your life with an eternal focus. There you are. Now we know that not all these people you live life with are Christ followers, right? And unless God does a miracle, they won't all be Christ followers. Right? But let's just say a few, just, just a few of the people that you're closest to are Christ followers who are living for eternity, all right? Let's say uh, perhaps God has blessed you with a Christian spouse, all right? Let's say that spouse is living for eternity. Maybe you're small group members, all right? Some people you spend a lot of time with, you, you enjoy your fellowship with, all right? Eternity. But let's say that everyone else in your life right now is not a Christ follower, Perhaps someday God will change that, right? But they're down here, and those people are living for these things, right? You see what's happening here? All these other people, they're doing their thing, man. They're digging their elbows in. They're, they're making their way. They're getting their thing. They're getting their stuff, right? But you and God willing, a few close friends in your life, choose to live for eternity. If you choose to have your eyes fixed on living with the Lord forever and all the blessings that go along with that. Right? Doesn't mean you aren't going to have to experience some of this some, some of the time. But for the most part, your life is going to be focused somewhere else. You aren't going to have to go through life every day with sore ribs because you frankly aren't participating in a lot of it. Hey, love these people. Lead these people to Christ. Be a godly example. But you don't have to live like them. Right? That will help create a type of peace and joy in our life that God designed us for. Because we aren't living for temporal things. We're living for eternity with our Lord. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Point number one this morning. God is personal. 
Point number two this morning, God is praiseworthy. Point number three, our relationship with God will last forever. God is eternal. Right? Where are the roots of your emotions planted, friends? Where are they planted? Man, I sincerely hope that they are planted in a loving Father who is personal, who is praiseworthy, and who is eternal. Then I believe that he will grant to us emotional health. Yeah, there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with emotional health, right? There is. There's, there, there's other things. Sometimes we need to consider getting counseling. Friends, if you're in the middle of a difficult time, get some Christian counseling. Get some Christian counseling. Don't be ashamed, but get some Christian counseling. When I say Christian counseling, I mean Christian counsel, right? There's a lot of garbage counsel out there, right? How do you know the difference? If your counselor or if a counselor is telling someone to look within, they can fix the problems themselves, and Christ is not part of the solution, leave that office. Go somewhere else. Someone who's fixed on eternity with Jesus Christ and wants the power of God to transform your life. God is personal. God is praiseworthy. God is eternal. Where are the roots of your emotions planted? I hope they're planted there. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for songs in the Bible like Psalm 23 that we can turn to in the best of days and in terrible dark hours of our life. And we can go to and see, God, that we have a God who is personal and a God who is praiseworthy even in dark times and a God who is eternal that we can look forward to living with forever and ever. God, I pray that you cause us all to have our emotional roots planted in you, not in the things of this world. God, we love you so much. God, we thank you for your abundant goodness to us that can't even begin to be described. God, we just thank you, thank you, thank you. God, we love you and ask that you be honored and glorified and praised in our life today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.